Uh, grab your Bibles, turn to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. Uh, we, um, I suspect this is one of those psalms uh, that you will be familiar with. Uh, maybe this is just me, but when it comes to the psalms, I struggle with knowing the number. But when I read the psalm, it, it really jumps off the page for me with familiarity. And this is certainly one of them. Psalm 103. Um, let's stand and read God's word. We'll read the whole psalm and we'll dive right in. David writes on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens. His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, you always angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works and all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, ask as always that you would be so kind to uh, open our hearts and our mind, our eyes and our ears, our mouth, our hands and our feet, that we will go in obedience to Christ, transformed by your word, moved by your spirit. And may... We become more like Jesus. Lord, here we are uh, seeking to know what does it mean to bless the Lord. May we rightly understand it. May we apply it. May I decrease so you can increase. In the name of your son we pray. Amen. Seated. You may recall this morning we, we looked at the definition of bless. The, a word that we use all the time, particularly in the South. In fact, after the service, I was overheard one conversation of someone who used the phrase, bless your heart. And then they realized what they had just done, right? You know, there I am being a Southerner again, right? And of course, there's nothing wrong with that, that, that saying, certainly in the South. But, but, but we, we use this term all the time, and, and we rarely ever really pause to think, what, what do we mean by that? And so you may recall, we looked at two of the three primary uses of the word in the Bible this morning. The first is covenantal favor, and that is that, that, that we receive that covenantal favor by faith. We come to the cross, as we just sang, and there we receive the blessing of God. We are blessed because we are His. And we also saw that the word blessed carries with it um, human flourishing. If we want to flourish, we want to prosper, we want to possess joy and whatnot, then the key is to be uh, blessed and to be a blessing. And the key there horizontally is wisdom and virtue. If we live by the wisdom of God, we will experience the blessings of God. If we live with virtue and righteousness, 
we will avoid a lot of suffering and sorrow. And more than that, we will add to our lives that of blessing. And that is what it is that, that, that we want. There is a third use of the word in the Bible that shows up all over the place. And it is in the context of worship, faith, wisdom, Worship. Let me give you a few examples of this before we look at Psalm 103. Psalm 16, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. Notice there, I bless the Lord. Now, you remember that with Abraham, it was God blessed Abraham. And God blessed Isaac and Jacob and Israel. And, 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 and through Christ, God blesses us. Here is the inverse, which is where we, having been blessed by God, return the favor to God to bless him. Same thing in 104. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Sound familiar? It's the very next psalm. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. Clearly the context of worship. Later on in Psalm 104, let sinners be consumed from the earth. Let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Clearly the connection between praise and blessing is purposeful there. Psalm 134. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Notice the posture of worship is in the context of blessing God. Thus it is worship. Psalm 135. Uh, o house of Israel, bless the Lord. O house of Aaron, bless the Lord. O house of Levi, bless the Lord. You who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. What do you think is the main point of those two verses? You don't need a cemetery degree to figure that one out. 1 Chronicles 29, I think this is, uh, no, I'm wrong. Then David said to all the assembly, bless the Lord your God. And all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of their fathers, and bowed their heads and paid homage to the Lord and said to the king. So David commands that they would bless God, and so they all do so. Finally, Nehemiah chapter 9, the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, and Hashabaniah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethahiah. Those will be on the test afterwards. Stand up, he says, and bless the Lord. Bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessings and praise. This is clearly in the context of worship. But what we get here in Psalm 103 is the command to bless the Lord. That's clearly made in verse 1. It's repeated twice in verse 1. It repeats throughout the, the entire psalm. But what the psalmist does for us, what David does for us, is he gives us a number of motivations for, a number of reasons why we should be drawn to worship. That is, we should be drawn to bless the Lord. The first reason is remembrance. Remembrance. One of the greatest killers of relational intimacy is forgetfulness. Often in our relationships, we take things for granted. right? So the things that we found cute when we first started dating our significant others, we now may find them annoying. right? I always tell couples, right? you think it's cute that he's 10 minutes late to every date. That will annoy you in a very short amount of time. right? You think it's cute that she does the next thing every time she says something that, or you say something she disagrees with. That is going to annoy you before long. right? Um, but one of the things is, is whenever we are, we are blessed by others, when others do good things for us, we end up taking that for granted. And often, through forgetfulness, our relationships can become stale or cold, to use a more biblical term, like in Revelation 2, a cold love. Love can grow cold and stale when we forget why we love this person, uh, where we have been with them, and why we fell in love with them in the first place. 
We do the same thing with sports. This is actually something that often frustrates me. A coach is judged by what they are doing right now. Right, Kentucky fans? You've got a coach. He's had all the top recruits. He's won the national championship. How many more SEC uh, games? I realize the last few years have been awful to my great enjoyment. But, but what, what, what we do with coaches is not um, what have you done, but what have you done lately? And so what we do in sports is the past is irrelevant. The only thing that matters is the now. The Bible frequently warns against the cold love of stagnation that lacks remembrance. We can trust and worship the Lord not just for what he is doing now, but for what we know he has done previously. More so, we can have the assurance that God is at work now because of what he has done in the past. Notice what the psalmist says. He opens up with, bless the Lord, O my soul, bless his holy name. That's the thesis of everything. But he lays this out in verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. It is to say that, that when we worship Christ, we do so not because he's, because our life is perfect now, but because we already have the blessing of God. We talked about that this morning, right? That, that if you have the covenantal favor of God, that vertical relationship, we have reason enough to fall on our knees and worship Christ, for we are favored by him. That alone is sufficient. Do not forget his benefits. Now, what are those benefits of grace? That's what's laid out in verses 3 to 5. And they, are, they, are all, they all start with F, or at least I'm going to make them start with F, so you know this is true, right? If it's alliterated, it must be true. First of all, forgiveness. We've received the benefits of forgiveness. There it is in, in verse 3, who forgives all your iniquities and heals all your diseases. Now, we need to know that in the Bible, forgiveness and healing are often synonyms, uh, if you want evidence for this, we can't chase this rabbit. Isaiah 53, as quoted in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus does all these miracles. And then, and then the context is he took away our sins, took away our infirmities. Those miracles are a picture of grace. And so we see the same thing here. To be healed of, of, to healed of, of, of your iniquity, to, to heal of, of your diseases, is to experience real forgiveness. It's a type of parallelism we, we have here. So the, the, the psalmist says here that, that, that may we never forget the benefits we have received, not that we were once forgiven, but that we are perpetually and always forgiven in Christ. That alone should be reason to celebrate. That alone should be reason to worship, to bless the Lord with our very soul. We are a people forgiven. This isn't a justification of sin, of course, uh, but it is a realization that under the covenantal favor of God, we have as a benefit of that relationship forgiveness. Not only forgiveness, we have friendship. Verse 4, who, this is the one that we bless, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Notice here that God's love both raises and crowns us. And we're crowned not with power and wealth and jewels, but with love and mercy. Love and mercy. That is far better than, than the alternative. One of the old games that men in particular seem to like to play against each other is the would-you-rather game. 
right? You know, it's like, would you rather have X or Y? And both of them are usually bad options, right? Uh, they're, they're really bad options. For, let, let, let me give you an example of this, okay? Let's just let's play this game. Kentucky fans, would you rather beat L in football or basketball? All right? Right? You know, uh, of course, as a little fan, I'm offended by that, right? So I'm going to have to cancel myself, right? And then there are some other generic ones. What, uh, would you rather be the star of a bad team or an average player on an elite team? Right? Have you ever watched these national, you know, these championships, right? They get these trophies. And there's that dude on the bench who hasn't played two minutes. He gets to celebrate too, and you're thinking, well, good for him, right? He picked the right team. Not good enough to play. He picked the right team. Which, which one would you rather be? The star on, elite, uh, on a bad team, average player on an elite team? Would you rather win the most valuable player award or a team championship? So would you rather be the best player in the league? Or would you rather be the, on the best team in the league? Would you rather go for the win in the final minutes or do what is necessary to secure overtime? So your team is down by two, right? And it's a basketball game. Kentucky fans, you're playing, you know, if, if you're playing UofL and you're only down by two, uh, your problem is not overtime this year, okay? You know, I'm just saying. Um, but don't worry, you won't be playing UofL anymore They. Because they don't play at all, it seems like. Anyway, so, so would you rather go for the dunk to secure overtime, layup or something like that, or would you shoot the three and just go home with the win, knowing that you've increased the chance of losing? Which one? Which one would you rather do? Would you rather be the highest paid player on a poor team or an average player, or we've already seen this on an elite team? So too, we could play this game. Would you rather have power, influence, and wealth or the endless, bottomless, unconditional love of God in abundance? Which one? Which one? The writer here says, look, if, if, if we've experienced the grace of God, we have not just forgiveness, we have his friendship by which he raises us and crowns us in love. Thirdly, fulfillment. We see it there in verse 5. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Not only are we welcomed in love into the family of God as a result of the radical forgiveness of Christ, we are left satisfied. This fits well with our discussion of the meaning of blessed, doesn't it? Remember what it is that, that, that we saw, that if, if we would hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus told us in the Beatitudes, we will be satisfied. If we would mourn, we will be comforted. This is the promise of, of, of the psalmist, that those who have the benefits of grace, those who have been blessed by God, are truly fulfilled, are truly satisfied. I want you to notice again that this is a matter of position, not a matter of work. What we often do is, is we say that if I can get to the next thing, then I will be happy, satisfied, fulfilled. I will be prosperous. I will, be, I will flourish. I will be content. I will be peace. Whatever that next thing is. If, if, if only I were married. If only I had children. If only um, um, uh, my boss got fired and I had his job. If, if, if only uh, we, 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 we lived just in a better house or in a better neighborhood. If, if only my in-laws would leave me alone. If only life was easier. If only I could get through this sickness. If only I could get through this stressful time. We, we think that satisfaction fulfillment it's just, it's just, there's just one more hurdle to get over. But the Bible suggests that it's actually the opposite. To realize that you already have the fulfillment and flourishing in Christ. If we would receive it and believe it. 
for whom he has left us satisfied. So then we are called to bless the Lord of blessings. When our worship runs dry and our affections for our Savior runs cold, it is because we have taken for granted the blessings of God. We have failed to remember. Bless the Lord, then for his abundant blessings we have already received. Not only is this is he reminds us of remembrance, he, he points us to righteousness. Verse 6 is, is the thesis statement here. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. Notice here that in verse 6, God here is, 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 is shown to be both redeemer and liberator. He redeems slaves and he also uh, sets them free. He, 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 you know, I, know, I know there's parallel there, but, but both are important. It isn't just that he chose a random people to redeem, but that he zeroed in on slaves, those who are oppressed. Now, as you can tell here, verses 7 to 14, really 6 to 14, the dominant narrative that David has in mind here is the story of the Exodus. Although he doesn't develop it like other Psalms do, but it's clearly there in the background. Whenever you see the Jews talking about God as Redeemer, they almost always have the Jewish occupation uh, by Egypt in mind, and that God redeemed them without raising a sword. It's an incredible part of the story, is that they just walked out on the job, right? I mean, that's the incredible part of it. God set them free to the point that Pharaoh said, you ain't got to go home, but you got to get up out of here, right? Um, and so, so David here is returning to that. Notice it there in verse 7. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. This is, this is saturated with, with Exodus and Moses Language that word redemption is 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 both a market term and it is a, a justice term. In the market, what you would do is if someone has a large debt, if you redeem them, you essentially paid off their debts without them having to pay you back. You simply pay off their debt and they are free. If you want a story like this, it's the story of Boaz and Ruth, where Boaz becomes a kinsman redeemer. They get out of debt and poverty and they inherit the riches of the kinsman redeemer. It's a picture of redemption. And as a justice issue, it's the picture of setting a slave free. You often would purchase the slave. You purchase the slave and then set them free. And that's essentially what, what, what God did. Through the blood of the lamb, the Israelites were set free. And you can see how this idea of redemption moves from the Old Testament to the New Testament, right? And, and, and so this is what he has, has in mind here. So, so the rescue of the Jews is a matter of redemption. It's also a matter of, of justice. Those who claim the Bible does not condemn slavery are apparently unaware of the most important story in the Old Testament. God liberated slaves. Why? Because slavery is a bad thing. Am I reading into the text there? Pharaoh is bad. The slaves there are liberated. And you can see why in America, traditionally African Americans have, have really zeroed in on the Exodus narrative for that very reason. So with the Exodus narrative there in mind, he, 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 may, he, he wants us to see this. Notice in verse 8, God is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Now, if that sounds familiar, it's because you've read your Bible. In fact, you've read like any part of your Bible. Have you ever thought, 
What is the one verse in the Bible that is most quoted by the Bible? Have you, have you ever thought about that? Um, uh, well, you, you are now, right? And there is an answer to that. The answer is Exodus 34. Uh, I, I think this is uh, 6, 6 and 7. Uh, I put verse 6. I think it's verse 6 and 7. This is the part where, where God passes uh, by with, with Moses, right, hiding, okay? The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, bound in steadfast love and faithfulness. Does that sound familiar? Here comes David generations later. He said, you, don't forget who you are in Christ. And, and don't forget who Christ is. He is righteous. Slow to anger, merciful, gracious, abounding in love, steadfast in his love. Don't, don't, don't forget this. This is who he is. And so then that picks up in verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sins. That's a good thing, isn't it? Whenever people say, I just want God to be fair, then what you're asking for God is eternal punishment separation from him. If God is fair, you'll burn in hell, not later, but right now. You don't want God who is fair. You want a God who is gracious. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. Can you reach the ends of the heavens above the earth? No, nor can you reach the ends of God's abiding and bottomless love for you. So too, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, that great casting crown song, so far does he remove our transgressions. Well, this is a re-emphasis of the forgiveness part, isn't it? Well, what has he forgiven? Everything. How far has he chucked it away from us? As far as humanly possible, as far as spiritually possible. Scientists tell us that we can reach the end of our known universe. Did you know that? There's, there's now, now, my understanding is, I'm not a science, nor did I stay at a Holiday Inn, but, but, but I, my understanding is the universe is always expanding, but that implies there is an end of that expansion, that, that though it's expanding, you can, you can get to, to, to the front lines of that expansion. That's my understanding. It could be wrong. Um, I did study theology, so I may not be right. But what would it take to get to the end of that? According to scientists, and they're never wrong, they tell us that if you traveled at the speed of light... You could reach the edge of the universe in 225 trillion years. That is a lot of national, American national debt, isn't it, right? That's a big number. That's a big number right there. Now, now, imagine, not starting from the earth to go to the edge of the earth, or edge of the universe. What, what if you go to that edge of the, of, of, of the universe and go to that edge of the universe? That's what God does with our sins. That's what God does to our sins. And when we forget that, our worship will dry up. And we will, we will forsake the benefits of grace. Thirdly, the God who reigns. Years ago, I, I got some really good sound pastoral wisdom. You tell me if it's wise or not. Um, because I needed to hear it at the time. Every young minister suffers from the same disease. It's called pride. And um, I think that's the theological term. Basically what happens is every young pastor enters into a church and they think, okay, now the history of the church will begin. Right? I've, I've been guilty of this you know, in the past. 
Um, and so now that I've arrived, I can fix all the problems and we can do things the church has never thought of doing before, right? That is, that is every, every young minister does that, every single one of them. That's why they should be locked up for a few years. Um, and I, I remember becoming frustrated that I, I wanted to see things move faster and I was getting a lot of, uh, a lot of pushback. And, and a, a really just experienced, wise pastor told me, he said that one of the things you'll find in, in the church where it seems like things move slower is, is that for many within the church, the world is moving too fast for us. Whether you're young or old, the world is moving too fast. I told myself when I was a teenager, I'm not going to be like my parents and be left behind by this world. I'm going to listen to the latest music. I'm going to keep up with the latest technology. I'm going to have the latest gadgets and everything. The, the, I'm going to have all that. And then I hit 30 and I had a few kids. I get it. I get it, right? We have not improved on the original Atari where it's a joystick and a red button. We haven't improved on it. I'm convinced, right? Some of you are Atari, right? Um, And so because the world is always shifting, nothing, nothing feels as if it is, it is anchored in anything. In any moment, th- things can just fall apart or things will have to change. Your job is constantly changing. Your, 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 your home life, your, your relationships, they're always on the move. So we're looking for that one thing that seems to be constant, that should be constant. Often the church becomes that thing, and rightly so. After all, I'm reading from a text that is thousands of years old. We're sitting in the church that's been around for 60 years now. We, we sing hymns that are older than all of us, right? From people long gone. And so, so you would think then the church is the one place where there isn't any change. And I found that really, really insightful to understand how, how many of us do, 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 do approach the church. But the good news is that though the world may be changing around us and we have a hard time keeping up or adjusting or anything that, We worship a God who does not adjust. He is immovable. He is immutable, to use the theological term. Everything around us changes and fades, especially man, but not God. Notice the language starting in verse 15. As for man, his days are like grass. How's your grass looking right now? I already know the answer to that because I see mine, right? Uh, uh, my father-in-law went driving around the other day. Uh, we were in Sanders, Kentucky. If you don't know where that is, then you can grow up in Owen County or Carroll County. Uh, that, that's, that's God's blessing upon you. But, but uh, you're like, well, Sanders looked a little rough. And my father-in-law goes, it's because it's winter, little boy, right? You know, everything looks terrible right now. He has a point. He, he has a point. For man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. One of the things I've complained about when it comes to building a healthy relationship with my significant others, why do women like flowers? Isn't that a terrible choice? Here, let me give you something that is slowly dying and suffocating. I love you. Have you ever thought about that, right? Ladies, when you get a flower, it's dying. And you want that to be the image of beauty and love? Ladies, ladies, we... We need to talk about our symbolism here, okay? <laughs> leave it in the ground where it belongs, okay? Just leave it there. Um, nevertheless, the, the, we are compared to that. We flourish like a flower. That don't last very long. And so verse 16, um, for the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. Shifting sand, blowing of the wind. 
And so all we do is experience change and decay. But notice what he does starting in verse 17. The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his command. You see there? You will rise, you will fall, you will live, you will die. One generation to another. Nations will come, nations will go, life will change, um, ideas will fade, and uh, problems will rise, and new problems will replace it. And on and on and on it goes. But the good news is the steadfast love of God is immutable. It is immovable. It will not change. That's good news. That's good news. He reigns. Without end. And it's never going to change. No one can put Jesus back into the tomb. No one can rob God of his throne. His love is everlasting. His love is steadfast. Notice what he says, verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Remember that. When the arrogance of secular man proclaim they do not need God. Remember that as it seems as if the church is being choked by the outside world. Remember that as we slowly become a minority in a pagan society. When life is difficult and life is great, either way, the Lord rules over it all. Remember, He is righteous and He reigns. Well, this psalm, I'm sure you've noticed, is chiastic. It's a fancy way to say that it concludes as it opens. And that is to say that if you, if you were to fold the psalm, it, it, it would be uh, symmetrical, maybe the wrong word, but the, 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 the beginning matches the, the end, right? And, and so verse 1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. It's the first line of the psalm. The, the, verse 22, the last line of the psalm is, Bless the Lord, O my soul. The writer then wants the reader to engage in deep personal worship. Worship is essentially praise that is found deep within our soul. This is not a singly of, a, a, simply of a mumbling of words on the screen. This is not simply a going through the motions of a service. This is a, a deep act of of exuberance and glory and praise and worship. Why? For for. When we fail to do that, we have forgotten who Christ is and what Christ has done, that he rules and reigns in righteousness. But I want you to notice that it isn't just you that he is speaking to. It isn't just you and me he's calling on to, to worship, to bless the Lord. Notice verse 20, bless the Lord, his angels, the mighty ones who, who do his bidding. They too are called to bless the Lord. Verse 21, bless the Lord all of his hosts, the one who are his ministers who do his will. Now, whether angels and hosts are the same category is a matter of theological debate that isn't worth our time today. The point is that the heavenly hosts, the angels, they too are called to bless the Lord. Why? For he has redeemed man. Rebels. Bless the Lord, verse 22. All his works. In all of his places of his dominion. Creation, natural and supernatural. That everything that has breath we read in the New Testament. Praise the Lord. And praise the Lord is to bless the Lord. 
Let the earth, let the heavens, let all creation, particularly his church, bless the Lord. You can understand why then Matt Redmond in his song, 10,000 Reasons, took this psalm and turned it into a, a modern hymn. I love it there towards the end. We sing it all the time. And on that day when my strength is failing, the end draws near and my time has come. Still, my soul will sing your praise unending. And then 10,000 years and forevermore. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like never before. O my soul, I'll worship your holy name. So are you one then, having received the blessing of God in covenantal favor? Apply that in human flourishing with wisdom and virtue. Return the favor by blessing the Lord deep inside your soul. If not, you've never truly experienced the full meaning of the word bless. Let's pray.